Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Kevin, it's great to have you back uh, again on a Sunday. Pastor John, it's a pleasure to be here, man. This is wonderful. Been enjoying my time over the past few days. Uh, we had the men's meeting on Thursday. Man, it was awesome. Uh, you know, I, we don't have, you know, my, so my co-founder and I, we travel the country and we, we, we minister at a lot of churches, but we don't have hundreds, thousands of men at a time coming down and just, just pouring out the, you know, themselves to the Lord. It was just a wonderful experience. Uh, gosh, it was awesome. So good. Well, uh, we want to get into this because this gentleman has so much information in that intelligent head of his, mm -hmm. and we're going to try to get as many of it out as he can. He's written five books, so probably every question I ask him, he could speak for hours just on that question, mm -hmm. but we got about 35, 40 minutes. Uh, we want to get as much as we can. So I want to start with, Kevin, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you eventually came to Christ. Yeah, so I was uh, I was born and uh, born and raised in uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with San Francisco, but uh, <laughs> and and the the the, the types of you know, sort of communes in, in San Francisco. So I was in Harness Point in the 1960s. Um, so I was born there, and then we moved to a lower middle class neighborhood. And uh, my parents are still living in San Francisco, still married, 62 years, and uh, yeah, just amazing. But uh, so I, you know, so I, I, I kind of lived that, you know, urban San Francisco lifestyle, um, just you know, kind of crazy, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and um, and but you know, uh, I was I, I always my my father, even though he was an alcoholic all of my formative years, he came home every night, and so uh, when I was in school and I wanted to act up and I didn't want to go to school or I didn't want to get a good grade, I always had that threat of dad being there, and uh, so that really kept me on the straight and narrow. So I got good grades, even though I was, you know, kind of a crazed, uh, you know, urban guy, kind of guy. Uh, but um, so uh, I got good grades, and then I went to San Jose State, got a sociology degree. And, um, and then uh, from there, I met my beautiful wife for 35 years, and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, so when we got married, we decided to just try to live completely biblically. And that was, uh, that was challenging and exhilarating. Uh, <laughs> it's still challenging and exhilarating, but, <laughs> right. but uh, it was, uh, you know, that was really the sort of the, the real corner of, of the, the change in our, in our lives collectively. Um, because we started to look at every area, every domain of our life, and we, we saw that this one area uh, we had really not paid much attention to, and that was the, our area of civic engagement. We had been going and just kind of traditionally doing things civically when uh, the Lord was really trying to bring to our attention that, you know, how you're voting and how you're participating ci civically doesn't align with the Word of God. So we started to look at that and uh, realized that, well, we had been uh, really voting uh, with our tradition in ways that would undermine communities that we're so concerned about as opposed to empower them. So we made a big change that way. And then the Lord started to really um, do some sort of supernatural things in our life. Uh, the first book I wrote was 
Lifestyle of the Rich and Kingdom, and it's a heavy theological kingdom book, but it was all a divine download. I mean, it's, that's kind of how I write. I don't, I'm not a writer, uh, but Holy Spirit can, can do what he wants to do, and, and um, so that was interesting as well. Um, I was involved in martial arts for about 10 years with my son, and I tore an ACL, and uh, on one Saturday I was sparring, my wife and, and kids went to church, and that Sunday I really heard the Lord say audibly, but, you know, inside, okay, now that I have your attention, I'm thinking, okay, you got my attention. I had a big old ACL tear, and so he says, right. And I'm thinking, right. What? So I open up the laptop and kind of coyly say, all right, right. And, and it just started, you know, hands started going, and revelation was coming, and I'm thinking, what? This is amazing. And uh, so that was just a download, and uh, that book was, uh, was the first book I wrote about 20, 22 years ago. And then from there, the, the other four books came in the same way. I mean, it really is. Uh, I, so I don't get writer's block. I don't get any of those types of things. It's just a download from God, and that's kind of how it comes. Maybe we can have him pray for us all that are trying to write books so you can just get that flow after the service. Yeah. But um, thank God for good women, huh, fellas? Get us on the right track sometimes, most of the time. But listen to me, okay? So, so um, Kevin is an awakened guy. He doesn't know this. Well, I think he does know this now that he's here. But he's a fighter. Up. And uh, Right? Yeah, I'm woke up. He, yeah, he's woke up. He's been fighting for us. Um, this might be your first introduction, but he's been fighting for our country and for us in Sacramento, in Washington, D.C. He's a truth teller. He's challenging pastors all over the United States to speak the truth and not shy away from things like celebrating Roe v. Wade and things like that. And so this guy's on the front lines consistently, and uh, that's why um, he's here, and that's why we like him. And especially for this next, this next um, question I'm going to ask him, this fires me up because he took what what culture was doing, and he put it on its head and challenged the narrative of culture. Um, so he, he started a, an organization called Every Black Life Matters. Yeah. And so, Kevin, can you tell us the difference between your organization and BLM? Yeah, so we, had, we, we saw the, um, the hatred, the vitriol, the violence of BLM, Black Lives Matter, around the country. And, and, but we all understood, you know, everybody saw the nine minutes and 45 seconds of what happened with George Floyd, and it was just terrible. And, and a lot of people were grief-stricken and that we saw the outpourings of that in different ways across the country. Um, unfortunately, we saw a lot of our black and brown businesses being burned down, targeted and burned down within these inner city communities. Uh, a lot of people don't understand what really happens then, but you have a lot of grandmothers, a lot of elderly that rely on those corner stores, rely on those, those little supermarkets, and now they have to catch four buses across the city to try to get groceries. And so it was just a real travesty. So um, we saw this kind of stuff going on, uh, but the icing on the cake was when we saw churches encouraging their parishioners to go and participate with this kind of stuff. And we thought, wow, that's, that's really interesting that, you know, uh, because if you go to, if you had gone to the BLM website, they've, they've kind of cleansed it right now, but if you had gone then, they were, they were just, hey, we're revolutionary Marxists, we're anti-family, we're anti-father, we're anti, and I'm thinking, Wow. And so we have the church aligning with a clearly antithetical and, and demonic. I mean, there was, they're also uh, doing incantations and witchcraft and stuff like that that they do is, is a sort of how they, And so it was just a weird thing. And so um, 
Uh, Neil, co-founder of Every Black Life Matters, his wife, Anna, said, look, maybe you should call Kevin and, and come up with an alternate uh, righteous and faithful way for people to, who, who are grief-stricken, but you know, they want to faithfully kind of participate in this way. And so Neil called me, he said, hey, Kevin, what do you, you think Frederick Douglass, you think Dean Nelson uh, would want to do something? And I said, well, I know Dean would say no, uh, because we've got too many other things and uh, stuff going on. But uh, ultimately, what he and I decided to do is we'd start it. Now, Neil is an African-American. Ethnically, he's Indian. But he was born in Africa, in multiple parts of Africa, and all that. And then he immigrated to the United States. So he's more African-American than I am. So I said, look, Neil, uh, you and I can do this thing. <laughs> He was like, no, no, Kev, you got to do it. I said, no, 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 you're more African-American than I am, bro. We got to do this together. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, and he's, he's, he's a, just an incredible mind as well. So having him as a partner and co-founder in this is just incredible. But uh, so we launched it, and we launched it every Black, Black Life Matters because uh, we didn't want to be so uh, disconnected from BLM that nobody can make the association that we're the alternative, right? So we felt that the Lord was saying, stay in the same lane, but just go different direction. So we named it that way very specifically. Uh, and then, but everything that BLM stood for, all we did is we went to their website and we, we did everything different. So the first thing is we're, we're, we're pro-life from conception to the grave, uh, from the womb to the tomb. And then, yeah. And then we're pro-nuclear family, pro-fatherhood, pro-school choice. Uh, pro-free markets and capitalism, nonviolent. So if you go to our website, everyblm.com, you'll see all that we're about and, and that kind of thing. And we've been doing this for a couple years. The other thing that we saw happen after that, immediately after that, was CRT started to become a conversation for a lot of people. It really took off. And we said, look, we, we have to be at the tip of the spear on that, too, and really help parents and community groups understand the, demo the demonism of critical race theory. And uh, with that, we included, you know, a social justice versus biblical justice kind of compare and contrast. And then uh, we do also a um, uh, black liberation theology or liberation theology. Uh, we do a full deconstruction of that so pastors can understand the demonism of that as well. So we, you know, we've been going across the country and doing that. Yeah. So good. I love that. I love yes. that. Um, I just want to hop back on one thing about uh, Black Lives Matter, because one of the themes of... Uh, kind of the the left agendas are is they scream out one thing like Black Lives Matter, but then the very organizations or people that are screaming that are actually destroying that same group of people. And so uh, when it, around um, you said you guys are pro life from the womb to the tomb, talk about BLM. Yeah, and so what their, uh, what their stance is. Yeah, yeah. So so BLM is really a a. You know, they're pro-abort 100%. They're, they're actually funded partially by Planned Parenthood. A lot, they get a lot of their funding from George Soros and the uh, Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. So, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable uh, when they scream that they're, you know, out there for black causes and that kind of thing. They're actually literally funded by billionaire white guys, you know, it's like, or, or the Chinese Communist Party. So it's really kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, the other thing that, that if you see the expose that Candace Owens did just recently on them, um, yeah, she's, she's just incredible. So uh, if you see the expose, uh, so, you know, all of the money, it collected almost 100 or over $100 million, and uh, all of the money went to, uh, most of it went to trans organizations. Yeah, I mean, it was just incredible. Over 20 uh, trans organizations, so, um, 
and LGBTQIA uh, as well. So, so that was that, and there was no black churches. You know, even though black churches, ironically, a lot of them, uh, and a lot of churches that were that felt guilty in, in the moment, they put these black blackguards on their front edifice, and and tried to associate with BLM, and uh, so that was just. It's just ironic that BLM, with all of this money, they didn't do anything in the black community. They bought mansions for themselves, from what I can tell. And uh, they funded tran trans organizations. And I'm thinking, wow, everything completely opposite. We had so many people within the body of Christ sincerely thinking that this is a sincere moment. And uh, it was just a real travesty, I think. It really exposed a lot, and even exposes more and more to this very day, because some churches still have the black placard or black square, you know, and associate with Black Lives Matter. So uh, we do have demonism within the church, and that's a reality. I mean, you know, this is not anything new. Um, and so, and a lot of it is coming out by virtue of uh, liberation theology, black liberation theology, and uh, which is really hateful, and, and it really, uh, it's, it's targeting whites and that kind of thing. And so it, it gets into the CRT area as well. It's amazing. It's it's uh, people crying out racism are actually creating organizations that are racist. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just it's so backwards. That's why we need voices like Kevin's out there and uh, yeah. telling the truth. Um, but Kevin, you wrote a book called "The War on Women: From the Root to the Fruit." Um, tell us about this book, and this is available out in the lobby afterwards. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I was uh, I was preparing to preach for uh, Rob McCoy uh, about a year and a, no, it was two years, a little bit over two years ago. Rob McCoy at uh, Calvary Thousand Oaks, and uh, and I was going through multiple iterations of the Bible, and, and I, you know, and Genesis three fifteen stuck out, uh, but in this particular iteration, this particular translation it said, and there will be war between you, the serpent, and the woman and her offspring. And I thought. War? War? War on women? And I really felt the Spirit say, yeah, there's a literal war on women. It's really the war on humanity, but all humanity is, of course, born through women, right? So, um, but that, that is the culmination, the genesis of the spiritual war that we have right now. So with that book, and I, I would encourage everybody to get it because you need this in order to combat the arguments of the war on women and all this stuff. In the, in the secular uh, sense, uh, there's a lot of people with the funny hats on that say, hey, there's a war on women and all this. And so uh, I named it that way strategically because I wanted to hopefully encourage those women to pick up the book. But in the book, I, I actually take everything from Genesis 3.15 to modern day. So I connect all the dots with what happened with Moloch and Baal worship and then with women's suffrage, you know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, Susan B. Anthony, Frederick Douglass, uh, to then feminism in the 1970s, to then radical feminism in the 1990s, uh, to intersectionality, to today, to critical race theory, to Saul Alinsky, to Margaret Sanger, to, uh, you know, uh, James Cone, some of the, you know, so everything socially and culturally that we're going through right now, this book helps you to, to really understand spiritually what's happening and then how to fight it. So it's really um, a strategic weapon that we all have to have. And you also have to have uh, sort of be able to combat, you know, you know, young women who are suffering with this, this whole feminist thing and, and all of that that's going on right now. This gives you proper ammunition so you can help lead them along and bring them into uh, the proper mindset for how to view these things. So good. So, so again, feminism, people crying out that, you know, we need uh, women equality and all this kind of stuff. Feminism is actually killing femininity. Yeah. 
Um, and an example would be, you know, we're crying out feminism, but then we're allowing men to be in women's sports and destroy the sport for the women. Yep. So it's so it's so backwards. But can you talk a little bit more about feminism and, and the, the whole trans thing? That you yeah. Have? So what we see today literally is we, we hear feminists talking about toxic masculinity and, and how men are, you know, just trying to dominate us and take us over. We've been hearing that for many, 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 many decades. Right. And it's sort of ironic that then all of your women's organizations, your feminist organizations right now fully embrace the trans movement. Now, the trans movement, the majority that would impact women are, are these biological men who now are heralded within the feminist movement right. as these biological men compete with women and girls. And so they basically cancel women out of sports. They cancel women out of academic excellence because then they're taking those scholarships because I identify as a, as a, as a you know, and so I get these scholarships. They cancel women all these different ways. And then, of course, they're, you know, big old hairy back men taking showers with, you know, five-year-old girls and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, what, when, are, when is the church going to start saying something about this craziness, man? I mean, yeah, unbelievable. So you got this, the, the grotesque insanity of these men literally canceling women and these feminist quote unquote organizations like, oh, oh the trans movement. They're literally have leapfrog women. I mean, women, do you understand what's happening? You're being canceled by men who were supposedly toxically masculine, but now you're encouraging, uh, I don't know. It's crazy. Brilliant. Crazy time. I love Crazy. it. It's so good. So good. So um, one of the things that Kevin does is goes around to uh, all over the United States talking about critical race theory, CRT, and, you know, the truth behind it and exposing it and from a biblical point of view. So can you talk about that a little bit and how that's being imposed on us? Yeah, so, so critical race theory is, um, is fundamentally a, a racist theory, right? So what, what it basically says is, look, just, just based on immutable characteristics, uh, you're born and you have complicit, you know, you're, you're complicit with what happened a couple hundred years ago in the 1800s, right? So people that are born that just happen to have a little less of a paint job than what I have are, <laughs> are castigated as, oh, yeah, you're, no, you're, you're guilty. You're one. You're complicit. You're, you know, it, it's, so, it's so crazy. Google did a uh, CRT workshop for their, for their employees, and they said in that one of their slides, they said, even this three-month-old baby is a racist. I'm thinking... Gerber did one for internally for their employees, and Gerber said, look, you're racist in the womb. Yeah, you know, if you're white, you're just racist, period. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. So this is actually literally teaching hatred and racism, right? And the classic definition of racism is you have, uh, you know, partiality based on immutable characteristics. You, have nothing, you just happen to be here. And people have this sort of partiality in a, in, a, in a very negative way, right? Prejudiced in that. And so that's the you know, classic definition of it. So we have the classic definition of racism that we want to teach now to our children, K through, for, you know, K through 12. And uh, we don't realize that, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, didn't even, I couldn't even connect with hatred until maybe I was a, a full-grown adult. I don't even know what that, that particular emotion really meant, right? So, so now they're teaching it. They're, they're not saying, ultimately, you may feel this way. 
They're saying, no, you, you five-year-old, you are supposed to hate your classmate there because that classmate is complicit with something that happened in your history 200 years ago. I know you don't know about it, five-year-old, but this is what happened. And so our children are being learned to, uh, taught, taught to hate. And so, uh, so, so when, when people who are in the sort of the critical race theory frame say, look, uh, you know, the, the whole of America is systemically racist, uh, and then, of course, most conservatives and all that, we both, no, no, there is no systemic racism. Uh, yeah, there is. Yeah, so let me correct it. Yes, there is systemic racism. And the perfect example is critical race theory. Wow. <laughs> so, so let me give you exactly how this works. So systemic means that there is a system, and people within that system embrace an ideology that perpetuates the system. It, it becomes a sort of inculcated within this system, so it's systemic. So everyone within the system has ideology, then, that continues to perpetuate the systemic ideology within the system. Does that make sense? Yeah. So critical race theory theorists, these professors, these, these teachers, these they're the perfect example of systemic racism because they're in a systemic frame that perpetuates racism within that frame, and it goes on and on. So CRT wow. is the definition of systemic racism. So, and that's what we need to understand so we can help set these people straight. Like, oh, I see. Yeah, systemic racism. I'll give you the perfect example. It's what you believe, CRT. So, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to hear that on CNN, people. <laughs> that was so good. What an explanation. I've never heard something so clear. Um, okay, another book, Woked Up, that Kevin wrote which I love, and it goes after the, um, the woke culture that we're, that we're in today. And there's a number of different agendas and cultures that kind of you discuss in the book, but what are some of the most prevailing um, woke-isms that we're dealing with? Yeah, so God just has such a uh, sense of humor, right? So, you know, we did this racial unity thing at Awaken Church and talking about awakening people and, 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 and woked up. <laughs> so, I mean, this wasn't planned. I mean, you know, it was, and it was our first you know, launch into this uh, racial unity thing. So uh, Awakened Church, woke up, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is really quite amazing how we, how we connected this whole thing, right? So, so woke up, what, what, what I saw was people constantly pointing fingers, talking about white supremacy and racism. And I thought, yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's interesting. Well, what? And it's, they're all associating themselves with the woke movement, like are, we're fully awakened, you know, because all these people are, are racist and white supremacist and I thought, okay, well, let me, let me take a look at the woke movement and see what's at. So the Lord just kind of gave me a download, and, and I started to, to, to write a little bit and do a little bit of research. I thought it would start with, with Karl Marx because, of course, everybody knows that Marx is sort of undergirding wokeism. Um, and so I really felt divinely inspired. I felt the Lord say, no, 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 you start with Marx. Marx actually got his ideology from somewhere else. You start with him. So I went back and looked at their Marx and Engels. All of their early dedications were to Charles... Robert Darwin. And I'm thinking, oh. So I took a look at Darwin's first works, The Natural Selection, for the preservation of most favored races. And I'm thinking, Darwin wrote most favored? It's in the title. And I thought, wow. And so I started to read a little bit more about Darwin. 
And then in his second book, The Descent of Man, he goes into a lot more detail about what he meant with favored races. He says, look, um, you know, we whites, we're, you know, we're, we white, Caucasian-Aryan, you know, uh, Europeans, we're, we're supreme. We have supreme intellect. We have su supreme resourcefulness. We have uh, a supreme uh, sort of genealogy that we need to protect. This is what Darwin asserts within the descent of man. I'm thinking, that's, that's white. That seems like that's white supremacy. And, and because he was a you know, well-known, renowned scientist, he literally, by virtue of, this, of asserting that, he gave ontological, anthropological, and scientific distinction to white supremacy. It didn't exist prior. Now, some people say, well, we have, oh, come on, we had slavery, we had, you know, uh, yeah, we had all of these things. Most of them were tribal, and, and, and we had ethnic stripe and tribalism and all of these things, but they were opportunistic. You run into somebody, they're a different culture or something, you don't trust them, it's just fine. We had a malady of the heart since the, garden, since the fall in the garden, I understand that. But there was no one in history that gave distinction to white supremacy until Darwin said, no, 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 you guys got it wrong. We are supreme. Now, because of his stature, that's what happened. They said, oh, whites, hey, yeah, we are. Then he said in the same way, uh, so, you know, to give you some examples of evolution, uh, if you look at blacks, you see that they're still trying to climb the evolutionary scale. So blacks are subhuman, apes, savages, and gorillas. This is Darwin in his writing. So he, in one fell swoop in the descent of man, inculcated white supremacy and fully instantiated racism. Wow. Darwin is the taproot. So if you read this book, this goes through in intimate detail, footnotes, private letters, everything you need to hear and see about white supremacy and racism. Now, the irony is that then Karl Marx uh, fully adopts Charles Darwin's thinking and fully envelops it in all of his theories. Then Saul Alinsky, which is more of a modern-day, uh, you know, communist, Marxist, uh, he, he then carries on Marx's work and, and, and establishes how to be revolutionaries throughout communities. What we see today is primarily the work of Saul Alinsky, who is kind of a modern-day person who fully inherited all of the demented, demonic ways that started with Darwin and then carried through through Marx and then all the others. So, so literally, all the wokesters, they, they, a lot of them have no idea that literally they fit the definition of white supremacists and racism uh, and racists as they point the finger at us. Oh, you are white Christian male. Oh man, you are, you know, you're a white supremacist. You're a racist. And I'm like, wow, this is this is interesting. Literally, the ones that are supposedly woke. Are by definition, so this is not like an ad hominem for an ad hominem. Oh, you called me when I'm going to call. No, no, no. Literally, factually, by definition, you say, uh, this is what happened. This is what Darwin said. Oh, this is Marx. This is exactly what he said. Oh, you know Saul Linsky? This is exactly what he meant. You, you have everything that you need in that book. And so, you know, if you want to fight culture, uh, I would encourage you to, uh, these books are out in the lobby, uh, and your church has, you know, uh, have, uh, I don't know how big of a supply is now because they've been being sold, but I would encourage you to get those because that gives you all of the ammunition you need to really fight and, and help 
it's not just combating those, but we want to help bring, uh, you know, our family, friends, and others who are sort of caught up in the wokeism and not knowing. They're just swept and in, gripped and swept into a, a move, right? And, a, and, a, and they don't know. So we can, we can help bring them along with that. So good. We got to be educated, especially in this time and this season. <clears throat> And in the name of social justice, they're perpetuating racism, yeah. and they don't even, they they don't don't even, even realize it. They have no it. idea. They have no idea. Yeah. Um, talk to me about, um, about another sort of topic that's been um, highlighted recently, and, and that is reparations. Yeah, so... Um, what your thoughts are. So I know when we hear from people who are, you know, family members, friends, and they are all, you know, have a different progressive kind of persuasion. They want to say, look, hey, uh, America's an evil place. It was born and, and rooted in supremacy and all of this. And I, so I gave you talking points for that. But one of the things that they say is, look, we all, you know, as black, we need reparations, man. America just jacked us up, you know? And, and this is why we're, we have so many blacks that are still in poverty and this and that. So they say, look, reparations is what we need. So a lot of us would just dismiss that, or, you know, say, look, uh, pfft, come on, that's crazy. Um, and I would encourage us to not dismiss it. So, you know, look, okay, let's have that conversation. And the way you have the conversation, you say, look, okay, so um, the way reparations work is whoever specifically does the harms needs to pay restitution, right? right? Yeah. The reality is, is we had a civil war. So there was only one faction of people in the South that did the harms. It was those in the North that came to set people like me free, right? So this whole idea that America, generally, owes reparations for something that was done is ridiculous, right? So we say, look, um, so let's talk about the exact faction that did the harms. And I think we can and should hold them responsible because it just, just so happens that that particular faction is still around today. And they have billions of dollars in their coffers. So I'm with you, Ms. Mr. Ms. Progressive Friend. <laughs> Let's go ahead and file a lawsuit against what, what, who is that? Democrat Party. Democrat Party. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's how it works, right? I mean, if, if, the, if the faction is still alive and well today, they're still, you know, and they, say they have, they have uh, assets, Great, let's have the reparations conversation. The black community should be, we should be beating down the door to the Democratic Party talking about reparations, man. Look, hey, we're going to sue y'all for, you know, $5 billion. <laughs> and you owe us black something. Now, the other, the other instance of reparation I think, it, I think that we should consider is, you know, the Tulsa, right, the Black Wall Street and what happened in the 1930s was just absolutely atrocious. And I don't know if you, you all for, are familiar with Black Wall Street, but if you Google it, you, you know, you see that, you know, that we had thriving, many hundreds of, of, of black businesses that were just incredible. They called it the Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, uh, and, and so the whites at that time started, uh, you know, a riot situation and started to just burn down these, these businesses, just burned them to the ground, man. I mean, it, it lasted for, I don't know, a few days or, or a couple weeks maybe. But um, so I think that the, 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 and there's, somebody did the research, it's about 200 families that are still around that were disaffected because of the Tulsa. So the city of Tulsa, not, not America, we don't owe people in Tulsa anything. That was, 
That was that city and those people in that city that burned down the Tulsa, you know. So the city of Tulsa, if anybody's going to give reparations, you go to the city of Tulsa and you say, look, we're the 200 families that are still surviving. All of our legacy assets were, were taken because they were burned down because of what happened here in the city. And so we want reparations. So I think, you know, we cannot just simply dismiss reparations as a conversation, um, especially when we see these kinds of very atrocious harms that have been done. Um, so, you know, let's, let's have that conversation. Let's, you know, city of Tulsa take care of that. Democrat Party take care of that. Hey, well, it's all good. <laughs> so good. You had mentioned uh, your partner, Neil, and he's here, he's here with us. He's yeah, could a, you stand up, Neil? He's got a couple of, couple of books. <laughs> Want to give us a brief overview of these? Huh? Yeah, an incredible man of God. So here, here's the thing. So Neil has been fighting this fight with churches for, oh, he, he's, he's a renowned apologist, right? World-renowned apologist. So he's, he's been on stage with Robbie Zacharias and all these kinds of, he, he, you know, he does apologist stuff around the world. So, um, and um, so one of the things that the Lord spoke to him about uh, well over, I mean, for over a decade is the church's lack of involvement in politics. Now, we're, that's why we so, <laughs> our hearts are just so warm and full coming here to awaken because you guys get it. This is, this is an anomaly. I hope you guys understand what you have here is very, very special in America. This is not, not difficult. So Neil wrote a book to try to bring our past, help them to, to because, you know, here's the reality. Um, you know, we have been brainwashed to believe that, you know, politics and church is not, you know, separation of church and state, all this foolishness, right? So Neil took, went through extensive and, and took biblical and then constitutional reference so everybody understands that Jesus is involved in politics. Now, the biggest perfect example of that is you don't see any demarcation where in, the, in, in, in the Bible where Jesus says, look, we're going to be, I want the kingdom to be applied only to these areas. This other area of civic engagement, you can do what you want. No, 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 no. The kingdom is holistic, right? Lordship is lordship. He wants to be lord over every domain of our life. Which means there is no nifty demarcation for, for this one or, or, or what, you know, you know, this is my thing. And for, for, for my family tradition, this is what we've been doing for forever. I got to keep doing that. No, no, no. That, that, you're not practicing lordship, then you don't understand. Wow. You know, Jesus is he's looking at you like, what, what in the world is going on here? I thought you said you want me as Savior and Lord. Right. Come to think of it, you know, that vote, that's not even your vote. So this is, this is how I do it. And, and this is a whole sermon, so you can, you can especially for this season. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, when people go to the ballot box, a lot of them have their personal ambition attached to it, right? I want this because this will be the first female, or this will be the first black, or this will... Right. And Jesus is looking like, wait, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Um, you, you accepted me as Savior and Lord. Shouldn't you be, shouldn't that vote be my vote? Why do you vote? You should have nothing to do with your vote. Your party. Jesus is saying, look, uh, I want you to just give it to me. Pray about it. Ask for wisdom and say, Father, whoever it is you tell me to vote for, I'm going to vote. I have nothing to do with it. I didn't vote for Obama either time. And the brothers was coming up to me and saying, look, Kev, why, why didn't you vote for the brother, man? First black. I said, no, I, no, I, I do want the first black president, but pff, uh, you don't look at his record and stuff. And I really felt that the Lord was saying to not vote for him. So I didn't vote for him. 
because it's not my vote. I didn't feel anything about it. It's like, right. it's you're, okay, good. I pulled the lever for whoever, and that was it. it, it it's his vote. That's, that's what lordship is, right? Am I? So if lordship is lordship, which means he is the master, he directs you how to vote, then what are we, what are we so consumed with? Oh, women, feminine, you know, black, and uh, oh, first Hispanic. No, no, his vote. Whatever. So we shouldn't feel anything about voting. Right? I mean, honestly and truthfully. Right? Because, you know, the Bible says what it says, and we go and do it. So, so Neil wrote this book that really characterizes that Jesus is involved in politics, why aren't you? All churches must be involved in politics. The reason why we have the culture we have now is because church has been absent. And nature abhors a, a, a void, and so the demons came right into culture. And then now we have the culture we have right now, and we're trying to fight the battle, you know, with, with our hand tied behind our back, but we're going to win. But, um, yeah, so... I would encourage you, this book is, I think, also out there. He has a few copies, and I would encourage you to please get that because this, this gives you resolve about politics and church and, and helps you to understand that this is, this is fundamentally part of what we're supposed to be a part of, right? The last one is, uh, he also, I think, has this, a few of these out there. And this is a, a sort of a child's uh, uh, understanding of the BLM movement and what happened. But it, it really is for adults as well. Uh, it really helps break down who BLM is and, and, and what happened with all of that. So, um, so he has a couple of those out there. So I would encourage you guys, man, we got, we got a great cultural kit out there that really will help arm you with what you need to know and understand so you can help bring your family, friends, and others along. So, yeah. How good was that? Why don't, why don't we all stand to our feet, guys? I, I want to get Kevin, because there might be some people here um, that are hearing some of this stuff for the first time. And I mean, this the clarity and the and the truth that you were bringing, Kevin, was so was so amazing. Oh, thank you. But we might have some people here that are still struggling with these truths, and and we and we get it. And so we want to pray for you, that um, that these truths will become your truths, because um, they're biblical truths. And so we want yeah. Kevin to pray for that. And then um, and then Kevin's really got this word for our church around forgiveness. So Kevin, can you just take us away? Yeah. So the other night um, with the men, um, you know even before I began to speak, and as I was preparing for that, the Lord said, look, there's a lot of pregnant men there. I'm thinking, pregnant men? <laughs> and uh, he says, yeah, no, they, there's, there's, there's things, they're, they're bursting with, with all kinds of purpose, all kinds of destiny I have for them, but they have this thorn, they have this thing. He said, the thing is forgiveness. And um, I said, wow. And so we spent a lot of time with that. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was men just pouring out. I mean, it was full. But here's the thing. In this assembly as well, this is a real issue for the body of Christ pervasively. Mark 11, 25 and 26 says, if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if God won't forgive me, man, I'm, it's over, right? So here's the thing. We have people here that are really feeling that God's calling them and has all of this great thing, but he stopped. He stopped. He's saying, no, I need you to work this out. Yes. This is an issue. And some people would say, well, okay, okay, well, that's Mark 11, 25, 26. And he's taking it out of context. Let me give you another one. Yeah. When Jesus taught the brothers to pray in Matthew 6, yeah. 
6, 9 through, go 9 through 15. Don't stop at 6 through 12. Go 9 through 15. And so he, he says, look, um, this is how you pray. He gave him the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, oh, but, oh, brothers, <laughs> something, something else I got to tell you. He says, um, in 14 and 15, he says, look, if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. So I don't know how this all works out in eternity, but I do know that there's people here that are stopped, that are pregnant with all kinds of good stuff. And they want to, and God wants to bring you forth. But you have unforgiveness. So here's the deal. I know we've gone through a lot of stuff. We have ex, ex-employers, ex, ex-husbands and wives. We have just horrible things that have been done to us. But here's the thing. God wants you to lay that at the altar. I know that some of us cannot forgive. We're, we, we're honestly, sincerely say, Lord, I can't forgive. I, this, you understand what happened to me? My, my father, my uncle, what, what, I get it. It's horrible what some of us have gone through. But God's saying, even that, I want you to take that and be honest with me and bring that to the altar so I can give you a heart that forgives. So um, I'm going to ask that, you know, if there's anybody, and, and I know there's some here, that are struggling with this issue, this is the time. This is the day, this is the season where God wants to work that out. He wants to work it out. He wants to give you uh, a new uh, beginning. And that starts with unforgiveness. So if there's anybody that that resonates with, could you please just come to me? Uh, altar workers and that, we'll, we'll, we'll pray together. So this is the time. This is the season. This is the reason uh, why, why we're here. And this is the moment for that we deal with the issue of unforgiveness. So again, if there's anybody that that resonates with, just please, just come forward. If it, if it's, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. supernatural strength in these coming days in the next 10 days or so 
that all of the things, all of the provisions, all of the insights, and all of those who are inspired to run, all of those things will begin to happen in a supernatural and miraculous way by virtue of those that you brought here to Awaken Church. Father, we know that there's an awakening here in San Diego and there's a quickening in the spirit and there's a fire that is going to be coming out of the San Diego area by virtue of this church and we thank you for it. And then, Father, so many of us, so many of us are aggrieved because of things that have happened. Oh, God. We know that there's a, a, a un serious unforgiveness and things that we must be able to lay at the altar, but we struggle with it all these many years because it's just so hurtful. But now we've come forth. We have all these that have come forth, and we're asking that even if we didn't, if we can't forgive today, that you give us a heart that forgives. We earnestly and sincerely give it to you. And we say, Father, have your own will. Have your own way. Because we don't want to miss anything that you have for us. We want to experience your full release. And we know only if this area is taken care of can we get the fullness of your spirit working in and through and to us. So, Father, have your will right now. Release us into your destiny, Lord, collectively and individually. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time and everything that was manifested in this, this service. We give you all the praise and all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.